Alphabet Intelligence Podcast. Afrobeat Intelligence. Democratizing African music. Listen, like literally everyone was happy. It's the opposite of London. It just reminded me of when I was living in Ghana, when I was growing up. Yeah. Just seeing something. People just shooting a video. If I saw a video when I was 11 in Ghana, yeah. it probably would have made my week. That's what we would have spoken about in school. Like yeah. just seeing that 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 vibe and experience, it was it was amazing to me. What did you say in Bagada? Happiness, you know. Pronounce it again. I want to hear it. Ba- Bagada. <laughs> I have to get it right. Yes. Bagada. You're trying. You're doing amazing. Did I get it right? Yes, you did. Okay. You did. <laughs> you did. Um, what did you see in Bagada? Happiness, you know, like happiness with minimal stuff. They don't take much to make them happy over there. Like it also reminds me of how how much privilege and how much things we take for granted when we're in London. Yeah. And 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 it's just mm, it's nothing to me. And then to come here and see how how happy they are with what they have. Yeah. Um. It's 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 nice to be reminded. Do you know what I mean? So that's that's what I felt like I got today. So you had the entire lot. Did you have security? We had security. Okay. I was advised to have security. Uh-huh. Um, I think maybe because I had jewelry on and stuff like that. But if I came maybe with no jewelry and just my vest and I was in, I'd roll by myself. Because I, I really believe you'd fit into Bagada. I, uh, I lo- bro, that's where we were eating today. We had Amala. We had Bomo. Was it your first time with Amala? That's my first time ever having Amala. I how, loved it. How was the experience? I loved it. I don't like Amala. We'll fight. <laughs> I love a goosey. I had a goosey yesterday. Okay. Today I had Amala. I had... I had Ufada rice. Yeah. Bomo was serious. I even stained my outfit I was wearing in the shoot with Whoa. oil. Okay. Like, I love, I love, like, I don't want to come to Nigeria and be eating pasta. I can eat that in London. Huh. You know, I want to eat with the natives. Like, I want to eat where you eat. Where the, you know what I mean? I get you. You, you want to experience Lagos in the yeah. way, in, in the same way we all experience it. Yes. The, the, the locals here, the yeah. natives here. But when, when you think about Lagos, mm-hmm. like, Prior to you showing up here, mm-hmm. what was when people told you about Lagos? That what was the idea you had about the city? I know this is not your first time here, but like before you came here, the for idea, the first time. Be, before I, I, do you know the truth is I hesitated to come into Lagos because they, I was told if you don't know anyone there, if you don't understand the city, don't go because it's hostile. Like you, you can get you can get yourself in trouble if you don't know where you are. If you don't know, um, maybe that is still true, but I feel I feel quite comfortable here. Like, I'm easy. I'm comfortable. What puts you at ease? I don't know. It, just, it, it feels the same as when I was living in Ghana. There's no difference to me. It, it, like, literally, it's the same thing. I grew up in a place exactly like this. So, it felt comfortable. Huh. Nice. That's beautiful. Because I know, like, people will... Of course, your, your trajectory, like, mm-hmm. traverses to mm-hmm. two continents. Mm-hmm. Like, you have... In London, for example, of course, it's more comfortable in yeah, London. Yeah, a lot more comfortable. It's yeah. a bit more structured mm-hmm. in London over here. But down here, there's a certain rawness to existence. Yes, that's it. Yeah, there's a certain raw energy that you mm-hmm. get to experience that mm-hmm. isn't in anywhere else. No, it's authentic. Even, I don't know how to explain it. People are actually happier over here, you know. It's really weird. For real? Mate, I'll give you an example. When I moved back to London, yeah, yeah. I probably didn't speak to my neighbours for two years. When you walk down your road, people ask you, where are you from, mate? What are you doing here? Two when, years. Do you know what I mean? But when I, when I come here, hey, Bosu, yeah. it's love. Yeah. People, when I'm in Ghana, like your neighbor will come and introduce themselves. They'll greet you. When I was in London, mate, the first thing I was asked is, where are you from, bro? You know where you are? <laughs> it's, it's, very, it's, 
it's it's hot. It's more hostile than people think. Maybe that's where I grew up, but growing up in Plaster Newham, it's a bit more ghetto than people actually really think. Oh. Check your postcode quickly. so but the people will come to you like Mm -hmm. and i'm trying to understand this Mm -hmm. the people will come to you like when you came back from ghana Mm -hmm. people will come to you and they say those things to you like um where you're from or on all of that what's their aim you're you're an unfamiliar face they don't know you um they have problems with people from different areas they need to check you're not one of them so it's it's always it's like when they check that and and they know you're local yeah then it's cool but coming back from Ghana, not understanding none of that, and I'm asking you why you're asking me silly questions, that can get you slapped real quick. Do you know what I mean? But when you when I'm in Ghana, Nigeria, and it's love, and the neighbors come and introduce themselves, and they're like, oh, what are you doing? Let's go and play football. Let's go and... That, that wasn't how, when I moved back to London, that wasn't the experience at all. Did you miss that communal living that's prevalent in Africa? I love both places. I love what London is. I also love what Africa is. I love that the, um, that the way people accept their situation in Nigeria and Ghana and Africa, and the people are just happy. London, I actually love a lot of other sides to it. I love the structure. I love the help you have. I realise when you go to Ghana, Nigeria, Africa, there's a lack of help in certain situations. Yeah. In London, if you don't have a job, they'll give you benefits. True. I don't think anyone in Bagada was getting benefits. No, no. Do you know no, what I mean? No. But, so I, I think the only benefit we get is to know that we can wake up tomorrow and still hustle. You understand? So, like, each place has its pros and its cons. I love London, but I also love Africa. Do you know what I mean? Like, I love both places. So let's talk about your, let's talk about like your music in relation to Africa. Mm -hmm. You found success across two continents. Fairly a decent amount of success, yeah. You found success (laughs) across two continents. That's, I'm looking at the scoreboard. That's what it says. (laughs) (laughs) You're J5. Yeah. You know, Away from Africa, when you mention J5, it means something. Yeah. And within Africa, previously J5 used to be used to be a name we looked up and we're like, hey, that guy's doing great things over there. Okay. Over there. Yeah. Like he was he was the other. Yeah. It didn't feel like he was us. Okay, I understand. Yeah, because when we heard of you here, when the first time we ever mm-hmm. experienced your art and your mm-hmm. artistry, it was from foreign music. I understand, yeah. So, it was quite a shocker for us when we saw you, like, dig your fangs or your your efforts into the space. And it was... It worked. Okay. Instantly. Okay. How does that feel, knowing that you, you own a percentage of, like, music real estate in two continents? Um, honestly, I don't even feel like I've achieved what you're saying I've achieved yet. I feel like I'm just starting to get there. Um, in what way? All my success in um, UK and all them places, I feel like all my music was heavily influenced by what I learned in Africa. Okay. So the fact that Africans are starting to recognise it a bit more now is amazing, but I, I feel like it's meant it's the natural thing. Like, how do I word it? I'm taking from here and playing it to them there. If you took off the vocals of what the rappers are rapping on in the UK, if you listen to NSG Options, that's yeah. a high-life beat. Okay. I had so many messages people saying, oh, you're sampling high-life music, you're stealing... I was like, hell yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. And then so now to be able to come back and put African artists on it as well and mix it with their, like, it's the natural the natural progression of things. Like, that's what I expect to happen because it's our music that I'm just playing over there. Huh. This is, this is new for me because I've never really 
looked at it from this angle, even like looking at your art and looking at the success you've had, I've never really, but before you directly began to like make music mm -hmm. for this market, it's always been like J5 has, of course, diverse influences, of course, mm -hmm. across board, but it's always been like J5 is foreign. Yeah, I'm trying to get rid of that. I'm not foreign, I'm local. <laughs> huh. I'm trying to get rid of that. So you're Ghanaian? I'm Ghanaian, yes. Huh. What's your experience with Ghana? Peace, lovely place, lovely, humble, um, happiness. Ghana is probably the most peaceful country I've ever been to. And that's not because I'm from Ghana. Yeah. Almost a bit too peaceful, a bit too relaxed. Um, when I come to Nigeria, everyone's hustling, everyone's on the road, yeah. everyone's hungry. Nigeria's, Ghana's the opposite. Calm as hell. Nothing can phase anyone. So um, I think like Ghana and Nigeria is like yin and yang is balance. But then like growing up, I know you spent three years here. No, three years in Ghana, yeah. Three years in Ghana. When I mean here, I mean okay, Africa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I know you spent three years here um, in, in Ghana. And then, but a lot of your existence has been in the UK. Yeah. So when you think about like your identity, like beyond music as a person, mm -hmm. how do you define that to yourself? I'm, I'm, I think the best thing my parents ever did to, is send me back to Ghana. The culture and the respect and the stuff that I learned there. Like when I left London and I went back to Ghana, the first thing, the first, my first day of school, I told my teacher to shut up. The, way they, the way they dealt with me and that, like, that <laughs> respect instantly. I never did that again. Did you get bitten? Oh, they beat me properly. But the mo like in assembly, in front of everyone, I'm talking 5,000 students beat. This student thinks he can tell me to shut up. Like, dealt with me properly. <laughs> but the respect you learn, and then you get home and think you're going to go and tell your parents yeah. that they beat you, and then they'll beat you again, saying, you, you did what? You told who what? Whoa. Like, you know what I mean? It, it, that, that was shocking. Oh, that was shocking. I, I was getting away with that in London. It was nothing. Told, Shush. Teacher say, I'll leave the room. I'm not leaving. What are you going to do? I'm tired of you. Te the teacher leave it. It was, it was just a different level of respect that you learned here. Like, remember, like the, when I was in Ghana, the whole village could punish you. Yeah. Somebody that didn't know you from Adams can say, what are you doing? I don't agree. And punish you on the spot. True. And it was normal. Yeah. You can never try that. And people would just walk past and just say, oh, yeah. Don't just dare try that in London. Be a stranger and tell, try discipline someone's child. Don't ever try it. So having this sort of experiences, how did that influence you? Um, humbles you a bit. It just, it just just makes you have respect and then it fixes your morals. There's a lot of things, a lot of morals I learned being in Ghana um, that were just different. Things that I thought were completely normal. And I'm explaining to them, they're like, oh, nah, man, you're soft. I'm like, nah, nah, that's normal. I have respect for, I don't care if you know them from Adam's respect. He's older than you. He's just open that door. Go and get the water for your uncle. Huh. Just little things that, that just now seem so normal to me that um, when I was in London wasn't the normal. Huh. And then in, in these spaces that are foreign from Africa mm -hmm. and you do these things and you appear to be different. Mm -hmm. and I, don't, I don't understand why people think it's different here because I, 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 I would act pretty much the same as anyone from here would act just in London. Nice. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm learning. I'm learning myself. Okay. <laughs> We're learning. We're I'm learning there. myself. <laughs> so when you started making music, mm -hmm. like when you decided that, okay, cool, I was going to do this, did you consider yourself like Kali African or you were saying, I just want to work with what I have? What was it like for you? 
knowing that you have this, this different cultures just residing within you, when you were about to express it in music, how did that come out? When I was expressing music, I never actually thought about what I was doing. I just did what I could do. So the process of me really learning how to make music was copying. Okay. So I would copy Timberland beats. I would try to remake a Timberland beat. But then the next day, I would try to make a Ghanaian or Fourier Ponsa song. Yeah. Then the day after that, I would try and make a Celine Dion song. Next day, I'll make a Lucky Dubé song. It was just whatever was playing, how can I recreate it? So I copied for so long that things just started to merge together. It wasn't on purpose. There wasn't, I'm going to be different. I'm going to, it was, you have a limited amount of music you hear when you go outside. And yeah. what you hear is what you try to recreate. True. Um, and just trying to recreate all those things made it become something different. But I was just trying to copy what I was hearing. You know, in, in, in the manner of speaking, that's how, like, you know, like this moment in African pop culture, we're mm. calling it, like, we have a tag for it. It's called Afrobeats to the World. Yeah. And when you break down Afrobeats to the World, you, you discover that there's no genre and it's just a movement. And why that occurs is because the entire thing is a fusion. Yeah, literally. That's why I love Afrobeats. Like, hip-hop, if you say hip-hop, it has a sound. If you say drum and bass, it has a sound. When you say Afrobeats, you could have a hip-hop Afrobeats song. You can have a drum and bass Afrobeats song. Yeah. As long as the dialect is of African influence, you can do whatever you want, literally. So that's why I love Afrobeats. It's probably most the most versatile genre of music. True, true. And in a manner of speaking, by this imitation, this imitation you did, you started yeah. with, this, you know, copying from here and adding what you have and putting it together, you were... Clearly, you're already expressing the spirit of Afrobeat. Maybe I don't know. I just, I just, I just copy, man. If I, if I like, remember back in the day, you record something on a cassette. Yeah. So if I was able, if I was lucky enough and I caught a song, like I was able to record it. When I get out of my fruity loops, which is a demo, you can't even save it. I'm spending ten hours trying to recreate that, that song, and once I've learned how to do it, I can't even save the thing I've done. I just know to myself, I am able to do it, and then you just delete it, and next day try again on another song. Do you ever get to points where you try to do the same thing twice? Like yes, to see if you can do like it faster. For, and if you from memory, from like, memory, if you can do it. So, for example, if I had a, a Timberland song, yeah, I played a Timberland song, and then see if mine is similar. I did that for a couple of years, and then it got to a point where I could imagine what I wanted to do in my head and do it without actually having to listen to the song, and that's how I really learned to produce. Like now, if I have an idea, I can beatbox an idea here and know exactly how I'm going to recreate it. Because I'd copied so much that I knew how to make anything I wanted to make. Whoa. But I think that's for most most producers, you know. That's, I think that's the easiest way to learn how to make music, by copying. And then when you copy enough, you can find your own path yeah. and your own voice. You add your own bits of what you like from. So I might like a, a melody from an African song, but I might like the drum groove from a hip-hop song. I might like the bass line from a reggae song. Because I know how to copy all of those, I know how to fuse them together as well. So you, you started making music. Um, and then you made I'm, I'm curious about like when I do this other interviews I try to look for and that's why like it's going to be very expansive that's fine I try, I try to talk about I try to of course I'll talk about process I'll talk about the art and all of that but also I believe the art is insanely powered by the humanity behind it mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't think they okay. exist in isolation okay I understand I think one births the other so I'll ask you about yourself. Okay. I'll ask you questions about that's like your human condition yeah, that's fine. and your identity and all yeah. those things. Because yeah. at the end of the day, when someone listens to this, what they'll say is, okay, 
I know that guy. Okay. I know that guy. I, I fuck with his work. Okay. I actually fuck with him or I know him. I get you. So yeah. copying mm-hmm. as a way to create. Mm-hmm. There's a whole conversation about like what copying does. Like so mm-hmm. people people would say, okay, this is the only way like upstarts can get their get their shots or mm-hmm. can hone their skills. Others would say the more you do that, the more you continue to like focus on others and try mm-hmm. to recreate others mm-hmm. you never get yourself. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you? When I was copying, I wasn't copying to put out to the masses so nobody could judge my music. I was copying just to learn. When I started putting out music, I was no longer copying. I was doing what was in my mind. So I think if you're copying and putting it out, then people can say, oh, it, it has those effects on your career and stuff like that. When I was copying, you would never have heard it. I remember my brothers used to laugh at me and call me Alien Beats. <laughs> they said the beats were rubbish and they sounded like tin pans. But that's the best thing they ever did. They mocking me, made me just like, I'm going to prove to you, I'm going to show you. Like, um, so that process of um, copying, um, I never got judged on it apart from my brothers. It's inside my household. By the time I was ready to release, it was original. Um, so I can't answer that question properly and saying this is how it affected me or didn't. No one would, until I say in an interview, you won't know I'm copying. Like, I've said it in a lot of interviews actually. My One of my biggest songs, Did You See, J-House, Did You See? Yeah. I was listening to Mr. Easy Skin Tight. I was listening to it, banging it out. And I was like, I need to do what my version of that song would be. That was my interpretation of Mr. Easy Skin Tight. That's how J-House Did You See was made. By listening to one record and saying... Yeah, and saying, if I made this record, what would it sound like? Huh. And it became one of your biggest. Yeah. Seeing, seeing how... And this is so funny about life. Like... When you started making that record, you never thought that this would be what it is. No. You just com- wanted to apply yourself. Yeah. I, I'm confident in the music I make, but I also understand people don't have to take to it away. So I can make a song and be in here in the room and say, this is a hit. But I just mean it's a hit in terms of if I could get the masses to listen to it, I think they would like it. Okay. So I always knew DDC was a hit in that sense, in terms of I know if I could get people to listen to this, they would like it. I didn't know it would go out and become like a double platinum selling song. I just... Like when it did that, I was like, ah, we actually got a hit hit. Mm. But before that, it was just, if I can get people to listen to this, I know they'll like it. And that's a hit to me. So that's how you define a hit for yourself. Yeah, because there's a lot of hits that are unheard. There's a lot of songs that are hits, but they can't promote it. They can't get the masses on it. They can't get people to listen to it. It's still a hit. It's just not been exposed. And this this thing, was there any, has there been any other record where you have, literally applied the same principle and it worked exactly in your the same way it's in your head. Like once the public hears this, this is Yeah. Um I had a song with NSG called Options. Yeah. That song, I think when NSG had done two verses, I still have the emails. I emailed a, a band called Composer and said, yo, this song's gonna be a hit. So if like send me a baseline. They took two days to reply. I finished the song without them. And I messaged them again and said, watch this song's gonna be a hit. You took too long. And then when the song was a hit, I messaged them and said, I told you. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like, so petty. Yeah, I just wanted to, yeah, like, I'm like that. If I ask someone to get involved in something and they long me and it does what I think it's going to do, I'm going to say, I told you. Should have listened. I'll let you know. So, take that for example, up beyond that. When you started making music, um, your early days, what was most important to you? Like, what did you wake up every day telling yourself? 
I don't know. I'll be honest with you. My earliest days were very shallow. Okay. I just wanted to do music to be famous and have girls. And be honest with you, when I when I first when I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get girls if I do this. So that was it. That was it. I'm, I'm, I'll be lying if I told you I have a deep message. I'm lying. And then as I started enjoying music, and music started keeping me out of trouble, and doing certain things, then a meaning there was a meaning to it. But my earliest days was this is going to get me girls. Did you get the girls? No, you don't get the girls. I didn't get the I didn't get the girls until the point where I didn't want to get the girls. Do you know what I mean? Like like now I have a girl is probably when I can get the most girls. But I have a girl. But when I didn't have a girl, no one cared. Sure. Uh, it, yeah, I didn't get the effects that I needed. But uh, I guess we're here. So, in the manner of speaking, you failed at your reason for entering music. I failed completely. <laughs> yeah, I, failed. I missed the mark so bad. So, what was the first meaning that, like, beyond women, what was the first time your music took meaning? Um, so, when I started doing, um, working with NSG, yeah. and um, at that point in time, it wasn't about getting a platinum song. It was just about getting your song played in the uni circles and stuff. And I'm seeing them play a song that I produced in the uni circles, and people are loving it, and it was just like, ah, oh, man. I can't believe people are dancing to my music and it's making them feel like this. And people saying, oh, this song changed my life. That stuff was like, oh, this, this, I'm actually doing something with my life. It's not just, oh, this guy's making beats to get paid because we weren't making any money there. Yeah. It was like, I was, I was actually losing money. I was buying equipment, paying for music videos. So I was, as a producer, you're not meant to pay for, I was paying for artists' music videos just so that they can use my beat. Like, yeah. I just wanted people to hear my stuff. Wanting to get to the last mile. Yeah, I just want to get it out there. I'll contribute, like, I was contributing to videos. I'm turning up to video shoots. I'm introducing artists, like doing a lot more than I should be doing as a beat maker. Just as long as it can get the music out there. And then people started connecting with it. Yeah, it started, to be honest, it, it started connecting in the Afrobeat world when I was working with um, NSG. And like, like I can't remember, I remember every, everyone, like Scob and a couple people like that. It started connecting on a underground level. Yeah. And then when I started working with J-Hus, that was the first mainstream success. That was like, ah, oh, we in the game. That's when we started getting radio play and stuff like that. Like with NSG, we were killing in the uni raves. If you went to a rave and with Africans and you didn't hear our songs, then you was in the wrong place. But then J House was the first time I started hearing the stuff playing on radio. I'm, I'm, I'm walking and I seen a group of Asians drive past playing it, a group of Indians. A group. I was like, oh, wow, we really making music for a living now. So that was the first time I was like, oh, we're in the game now. And then for you personally, I'm trying to like track your meaning. Mm -hmm. For you personally now, seeing that happen and it, it made the music become more than mm -hmm. just just an avenue to mm -hmm. get your dick wet. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work for that purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, beyond that, beyond like how it affected other people, mm -hmm. how else did you, did you connect with it beyond that? How it affected other people for you yourself as a person? As a person, I've always felt like I've enjoyed music a bit more than I should. So I'm the type of person where I think my favorite gift I ever got was a CD player. It was my mom, my mom bought me a CD. It had um, Crimea River, Justin Timberlake. Wow. It had um, some Missy Elliott songs, and I literally, I that CD, I looked after it with my life. I played it for like a year. I could wow. sing every lyric, play every melody, like. And my brothers would go and play football and stuff like that. But I enjoyed it a bit too much. Like if I could get hold, like I would, I would stay up a little bit late to record a radio set because I want to catch this one song. So an MC called DWE from UK, he's doing a radio set at 
12 p.m. I'm not meant to be up. So I'm going to record the whole hour. Then I'm going to take the cassette and then I'm going to splice it. I don't know if you know what splicing is. We'll cut the yeah, and the splicing. And then put it together to make my own mixtape. That's when I realized, okay, I like this a bit too much. Okay. Like, I'm, I'm addicted to this music. You would never have done gone to this level for nah, anything else. never would have gone to those. Like, my older brother was into music, used to collect CDs, do it. And I was copying him, but I think I took it too far. I have an addictive personality. Yeah. I should never smoke crack or do anything. <laughs> finish. I should, I'm the person that should never gamble. Like, if I, when I start doing something, yeah. I do it obsessively. I, I get addicted. Like, if I if I start playing football, I'm playing it every day for the rest of my life. If I'm collecting music, if I, like, whatever I do, I do it excessively. Like, and I know that about myself. So, when you love, you love excessively. Yeah. Huh. So, it's all or nothing for you. Yeah, 100%. Huh. Nice. And, and then... Music became that for you. Yeah. Music became a thing. How did it change you? Um, How, no, first, not 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 yet, because mm-hmm. you said it's been part of your life for a mm-hmm. long time. But like, how did it becoming becoming something more than what it was at the start? Mm-hmm. You know, becoming like a your life work, becoming how you express yourself and express like a lot of things about you. How did that change you as a person? Um, I think music has changed me as a person drastically because of how much reach you have, the different types of people you meet. You learn a lot of what not to do, how not to be, what you don't respect, what you want to be seen as. I meet a lot of people, people that I've looked up to all my life, meeting them within 10 seconds and realizing you are an arsehole. I don't ever want to be like you. And then people that I might necessarily not care for and then leaving with a, a lot of respect for them. Um, I think the exposure music gives you, the places it takes you, the people you meet, the cultures you get to experience, yeah. changes you drastically. Um, where I've been, I've, I've been able, where music has let me travel, I don't think there's any other um, profession that would have got me all of that. Like maybe just sitting here and speaking to you, like, like I, I can do the same thing in Spain. I can go and do it in Italy, anywhere. I can go and have a conversation. I couldn't do that if I was, let's say. In property, True. and you and they're, they're probably richer than you or have more success than you, but the exposure music gives you is crazy. True, you can learn a lot just from speaking to people, it allows you to have a lot of conversations. And these conversations go beyond the art, a hundred way beyond the art. Um, some of the most intelligent people I've met are people within music, not necessarily even the artist, yeah, music lawyers, yeah. um, ARs, just businessmen in general who've come through music. Um, also, some of the dumbest people I've met are musicians. It's, it's so extreme. <laughs> True. Um, True. Just meet so many people. True. And then something you said earlier struck me. You know, during your come up, mm-hmm. you went beyond, you know, paid for stuff, mm-hmm. interacted, introduced people and all of that. Mm-hmm. Did that in any way, I know like those efforts found a way to like make your beats work, mm-hmm. you know, to a wider audience. I'm interested in like how doing all of that aided your your career and your movement through the industry. Um, it aided a lot. Like for example, when I when I first met Huss, yeah, he wasn't extremely confident as an artist, believe it or not. He was confident in his ability, yeah. But he even I remember one time he said he didn't want to do videos. He didn't want to make videos, and so I took him to a video shoot of a comedian, Big Tipper. That was oh. the first video shoot he went to. I just took him. Yeah. Said, yeah, this is how it is. He had a video shoot. His friends didn't turn up. Like, I'm not doing it again. I said, I'll invite my friends. Those things helped him keep on going. 
I didn't realize what it meant at the time, whatever. But it was just like, look, I want to do whatever I need to do so you finish this thing and get my beat heard. Whether I have to pay the, for the video or take you, you're gonna make sure you do your part because I've done my part. I've spent two weeks making this beat and now telling me you don't want to do video, you do it. Um, like all of that stuff, I thought was a necessity. I'm still like that, and now it's just it's even beyond my songs. Like I might be working on a Dave song. Um, and then he, he might say to me, I've got this other song that had nothing to do with me and I want this artist on it. I might actually just hook it up and, and I don't benefit anything from it. So you're credited with, during like, before this interview, I think this is the second time I've tried to interview you. Okay. Yeah, the first time, I think last year, mm-hmm. you were in Lagos, um, your people, Tapanesra, of course. Yeah, yeah, Tapi. Yeah, a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. So she, a couple of them hit me up and they're like, ah, J5 is in Lagos. And then I tried. But you were you were very busy. Yeah. People in Lagos love you. I, I appreciate the love in Lagos. <laughs> I didn't realize how much love I get here. Um, and then when I came here, I realized Lagos, um, Nigeria in general, they really, when they love you, they love you, they support. Sure. I feel like I've got a lot of love because someone like Bernard will be like, yo, J5 is my guy. Always will be like, J5 is my guy. And when those people speak, the love gets passed on automatically. Um, so I think I've got a lot of love here and I appreciate it. And, you know, coming into, for you yourself, coming into your own, becoming J5, when was the first time you, the name J5 meant something to you? Honestly, it still don't mean anything to me. I hate my name, you know. I was named after a robot. People don't realise my name was, <laughs> like I was in a studio, the speakers were messed up, it was one speaker, I was on my knee making beats and somebody was like, oh, this guy is a robot, Johnny Five. Is and that it? That's it. That's where my name comes from. There's no meaning. There's no nothing. And then people kept on calling me that and it just stuck. And I felt like I had the corniest name ever. I huh. still don't care about my name. It doesn't have any meaning whatsoever. Huh. <laughs> but when was the first... Have you ever had any situation where you had to use the name J5 for anything? Like you showed up at a place or something and then you're like, I'm J5 or Google me or any of those things. Like referencing yourself. I, I would be embarrassed to say that. <laughs> I, like, I can't... So if someone beats me up, I'll take it. But I, I would not. Do you know who I am to, to anyone? I might say it between my guys and my friends. If I'm speaking to my friend, I'm like, bro, this guy didn't know who I am. But I will never use it to get into a place. It's, that's very embarrassing to me. Well, if you stay in Lagos, mm-hmm. you will get used to it. Nah, I don't want to get used to that. Well, Lagos mm-hmm. makes you perform. Like if okay. you stay here enough, and then you're like, okay, let me spend three months here. Mm-hmm. And live like the people do. Like you said earlier, you know, experience Lagos as yeah. the people do. There'll be many situations where Lagos would extract the performance from you. I, I, and I, a part of it is, a part of it is, it might come down to you authoring the, the words, do you know who I am? Or I've Google me. S- I've seen that a lot. But luckily enough, when I've come here, people have sorted things for me before. So like, when I'm here, Sony, West Africa, amazing. Before I even get out of the car, They've gone to speak to whoever's there. They made sure, you listen, don't give this guy a headache getting in. I've never had to. Maybe if I traveled here myself and I didn't have security, I didn't have people doing it. I went to a club, they might just tell me, listen, go home, you're not getting in. I might have to, but I've just not experienced that because I've had people to help me when I'm here. Um, Yeah. So lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You're credited with being the creator of Afro Swing. I'm not no creator of that. That, so, so when people say that, like, because I saw it in more than one place. Yeah. J5, one of the creators of Afro Swing. Like, why do they say that? 
because I'm one of the first people to have a hit, like a, a like a platinum selling record in Afro Swing. So, like I said, Mr. Easy Skin Tight and these songs were doing well, but I didn't have a UK artist on it. So I would take an Afro beat and put a rapper on it. And if that rap, and then that was the first time a lot of the people from the UK had heard something like that. Then it goes, oh, he's created something new. I ain't done nothing new. Or Faria and Ponsan, all these Ghanaian artists have been doing it for decades. Yeah. Um, so we've just taken what someone's already doing, adapted it a little bit, done our own version of it. And then you, we, we got credited with, I'll take it. Like, hey, yeah, it sounds nice. But the truth is I'd be lying if I, I went in the room and said, hey, I started a new genre. I knew what I was doing because I'm the most creative and I'm waffling. I was just making the same thing that people before me were making, but using UK artists, like using my friends. I didn't know any Ghanaian artists to even use a Ghanaian artist. So it wasn't going to be authentically Ghanaian. It was going to be the guy next door to me who, who's never been to Ghana. In fact, he's Gambian. Yeah. It's, we're always going to make, it's not going to be authentic, but when it's not authentic, it's new. And in many ways, have you, have you like found that like something that you've had to like push against that narrative that you created something new? I don't push against it, but I'm also not going to claim it. And, and then, because you also, there's people that really do know. Somebody will G-check you. I might get Mr. Silver come in and say, bro, you're, you're waffling. You didn't do that. And, and it would be true. Like, there was, there was artists in the UK. I remember before, before us, we had Timbo. Yeah. Who was doing it. There was artists that were, really, NSG were, were already doing Afro thing way before Huss came in. Um, so I can't be pushing the narrative knowing full well I'm, that I'm lying, I'm chatting shit. Like, because people will G-check you, man. They, like, listen, don't try it. You know what I mean? So imagine just tell the truth. Save yourself the embarrassment. True, true, true. And you've mentioned NSG more than once here. Yeah. And I know you, they're family to you. Yeah. Your, your siblings are in NSG, sorry. So I've said so much about NFT. <laughs> <laughs> so every time I say N, my tongue goes yeah. F. Well, <laughs> the new hustle. Yeah, oh, they, they swindled me on on NFTs. I got I got robbed. No, oh, they, they got me for for three k quickly. Sharp, sharp. For real? Within ten minutes, the money was gone. No, <laughs> I, I said, you know, let me humble myself and take my time. What? what did, so you didn't go back into the ecosystem? No, 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 no. Let me leave it to a time where I actually fully understand it. As I said, remember, I have an addictive personality. Yeah, I go in, I start thinking. Eh, eh, eh. Let me take my time and wait for people to really hear me. But I think at this point, knowing like who you are and what you do and the impact you have in the world, I think when you go into those sort of spaces, you should be going as a creator. Maybe I should. But I, my mind is like, I'm, I, when I'm seeing something, I'm seeing what can I invest in. I don't always have to be the person creating. Creating. I just want to be part of something that I think is amazing, regardless of if I'm at the forefront behind, if I'm just investing, if I'm a silent partner, if it sounds interesting, I want to know what you're talking about. Sure. I get you. I get you. So with, with the success you've had, um, when did Afrobeat, like African pop music, I know you've had elements of it in all of all your production, but when did you first say, okay, this is happening and I want to be a part of it? It's my first release, Dimensions. Okay. So... What it's, it's been is, when I'm working with other people, I can only control the narrative so much. Yeah. So like, if I want Huss to be the biggest African rapper, I have to convince him that what I'm saying to him should be his dream as well. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing. Rappers and artists, it's them who has to live behind what they're doing. So it got so hard to convince people to, to do what I want them to do. That it, just be, it became easier to just be the artist. And I realised, if I'm the artist, 
I want to make sure that I'm known for doing African music that crosses over worldwide. It's not just, oh, Afrobeats is popping in, in Ghana or popping in thing. I'm trying to have African songs as big as Latino songs or as big as Drake songs. Like, yeah. And it should be normal. It shouldn't be like, oh, wow, an African song crossed over. It should be just normal. Like the same way a future song crosses over, an African song should cross over the same way and it should be completely normal. Huh. And this thought process, how did it influence your creation in the way that you made it the process now i'm deliberate it changed i'm deliberate before it was accidental i'm just fusing things and it happens to be a bit african a little bit hip-hop now i'm deliberately it needs to sound like there's an african influence it needs to have some sort of percussion i still do hip-hop influence things but i'm purposely making sure that something about it is african with my features i'm always looking to have an african artist on it I'm not just doing... I'm in the UK. The easiest ones to do is just stick to UK artists. Yeah. I'm always trying to get a chorus from an African artist or a melody or hook or something has to be African. It's very deliberate. Huh. So with, with Dimensions... Yeah. Dimensions caught us all by surprise. Okay. Yes, of course. Because, <laughs> you know, we know J5, this guy in London doing all this amazing work, lots of hits and all. And then the first time we're seeing J5, Rema... I've seen Skepta, okay, cool, what is this? Then we click on it and like, oh no. This is this is super. That's what I'm trying to get. But and but it needs to feel normal. It shouldn't catch you by surprise. And it just needs to feel like the standard. Yes. It it just not only did it like fit in, it's it stood out. Like you know when something is a part yeah. of the system, but yeah, it stands out in the system. Okay. So that I, I think you achieved that. Okay, on, thank you. On on, on dimensions. What were you going for? Like, I know, like, what you've said that, but, like, in terms of, like, the actual music and what were you going for? In terms of the actual music, the artists always dictate what we're going for. I realise a lot of my releases are always street-level musical pain. I don't make a lot of happy music because of the way my instruments sound. Yeah. But the message in the music is always dictated by the artist, so... Um, I don't know if this is the best place to say, but when we did that song, the NSARS thing was happening. This is the best place to say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the NSARS thing was really going on. Yeah. And um, well, when we did the Skeptiversity, so Rema's hook was very um, universal. It could yeah. have really been anything. Sure. But when we was in the studio with Skepta, before we even started recording, he just came to the studio and he was down. He was like, bro, I need to be in Nigeria. I like, what was happening? Da-da-da. And he spoke for like two hours. He's like, bro, I feel useless. I'm here. da da so I played him a song and said, bro, just like, listen to this. And he was like, oh, no, nah, I need to say some, some, I need to say some shit. He directed where that, how that sounded. And then from there, it was like, oh, I'm just going to tap into this. And so when the next release I'm having, the Buju song, also has the same kind of feeling. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I'm getting that out of the people, but the artists are kind of directing it in the same place when I do music with them. Yeah. Um, so it's just working. Huh. And what's that? This process, you say it's new for you. Mm-hmm. You are being intentional now. Mm-hmm. Now you're not just leaving it to the wind. Mm-hmm. You have something you're working towards and you direct all of your your craft and your spirit into it. And you direct all of your craft and your spirit into it. What are you learning about yourself? Um, it's going to sound weird. I'm learning that I want a lot from myself. Like I, I, I think I, I want success more than a normal person wants. If you want it more than me, then you might have mental issues. Like I really, <laughs> like I really want it, like more than money, more than anything. I, I, you know, like 
when we talk about Americans, we talk about Dr. Dre and we talk about um, PDD, yeah? yeah? The level that we talk about them on is very different to us. We're not, we're small boys. I want to be able to be spoken about like that. I don't want people to just say, oh, he did his thing, he had a moment. I want people to talk about like, yo, do you know who that guy is? That means more to me than anything else. Huh. Okay. And in what, like, you're approaching, like, it's not a new culture, but I like to th- think of it as an extension of your art. So you're approaching a new culture, you know, you have what you're gunning for and the end goal for you mm-hmm. in terms of everything is achieving a lot more mm-hmm. than you have. Mm-hmm. Within the culture, has there, been, has there been anything you've had to like change or anything you've had to adapt like within your arts, within your artistry to do this? Yes. Um, constantly. You're constantly being humbled. You always have like humbling yourself, always learning to deal with characters. Um, I think this art is really understanding how to deal with people. Yeah. I meet some people that are amazing and really humble, then I also meet some people that are pricks. And some of the pricks are the most talented people you'll meet. Yeah. Talented, talented people are crazy. They're nuts. They're, they're naturally nutters. The more talented they are, they generally be to be, they're generally more crazier. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, so I've learned that. So having the patience to deal with people. I think doing this this job is actually a really, it's, really, it's more of a people's person than it actually is your talent. But you're talented and you're not crazy. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I might, I, might, I might also have my own crazy. I'm so convinced that maybe I don't know my crazy, but maybe I have a crazy because some of the talented people I know are nuts. And, and they only get away with how nuts they are because of how talented they are. The more talented they are, the more crazy things they get away with. Because if there was no person that would have collected slaps. True. UK, mm-hmm. Nigeria, mm-hmm. universality, mm-hmm. put them together. Mm-hmm. And then you create a bit that's works mm-hmm. that interprets this and put yeah. it together how do you balance like this strategy and the artistry of making the music itself the balance comes from trying to have an identity okay. trying to make sure because i can make a drill beat i can make an r&b i can make a hip-hop beat and i can just release songs with random people and random sounding songs but i have to have an identity so in order to, to try and make my identity i have to have a balance that and, and a formula that it's similar, but also still sounds new every time. So I know, okay, this is what I'm aiming for. And so that will influence what I create. But it still has to be new enough that people ain't bored of it. So just having an identity as a musician is what will we'll get all of that. And the visuals? The visuals also, the visuals have to have an identity as well. So what people see from your visuals has to have a feel, has to... So I've only had two videos and they've both been shot in Africa. Yeah. Um, I would love to keep that going on as long as possible. Sure. Um, I might not be able to because it's more than Africa, but a lot. Of, I, will, I will always have more visuals in, outside of London and Africa in different spaces. Nice. Nice. Like this one now, it's Bagada. Bagada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always love it when you went on the road. <laughs> okay, so... Thank you so much for your time. I think we've done... Thank you. We've done like nearly an hour of this. Oh, amazing. Yes, yes. And I'm having the conversation so much. But yeah, you have to sleep. It's been a long uh, day. You, you have. But just, I want to find out something. Okay. And you've done all of this work. You know, you've followed your joy from what I've understood from the conversation. You followed your joy, followed your happiness. Mm-hmm. And you've come to this point where it's... It's not only generated happiness for beyond yourself, mm-hmm. but for a bigger movement and beyond 
for you in the end when all of this is not when it's done but like what do you want out of this i just want to be a benchmark it's like when we're talking a level of music it needs to be yo is that better is that on j5 level the same way when i'm talking when i talk about a dr dre yeah records i'm saying yo his bounce was different the, the amount of artists he brought through i'm not just trying to have um big songs with artists that are already big. I want to make sure I bring people through. I want to have influence in music. I want people to be looking up to how I did things. And, you know, I want it to be like him. Um, I think that's it, really. Just just be a benchmark. Just be the level of music. If you're not on that level, you shouldn't even be in the conversation. That's what I ultimately want to be. Like, have you seen how, listen to how they talk about Fela. Sure. Like, the way they talk about some of these guys, I need to be spoken about on that level. I need people to remember me in, in those ways as well. Nice. I, just, I don't want to just have a moment. Sure, and that only comes from impact. Yeah, we have impact. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>